wide is Pero looking for two. Doncaster straight. Can he do it again? Light up the world is getting up near the fence. But Pharo, Pharo dashed to the lead from Abbe Glenn and light up the world, followed by Aragen and Brave Warrior. But Gavin Eads goes for home on Pharo. Look at Auntie Mary. Auntie Mary out of the pack. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. It took a trip to Gundawindi to remind me of the impact Gunsind had on this little Queensland town. A dinner was held there recently to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Great Horse's final race start in the 1973 Queen Elizabeth Stakes. He was beaten on that occasion by the talented New Zealander Apollo 11, but according to jockey Kevin Langby, he tried just as hard as he ever had. From 54 starts, the gallant grey won 29 races with 15 placings for $280,000. An Australasian record at the time and the equivalent of 16 million today. He won nine races, which in the modern era would be classified as group ones. Everywhere you look in Gundawindi, his name is perpetuated. Hundreds of tourists every year visit his sculpture situated in Apex Park on the banks of the McIntyre River. The Gundawindi Racecourse is known as Gunsin Park, where the champion made a farewell appearance shortly after his retirement. The finest tribute paid to Gunsind at the anniversary dinner came at the close of proceedings when all guests stood as one and sang along with Tex Morton's recording of the Gundawindi Grey. A touching sight to see as the Gundawindi racing fans paid homage to the lovable grey stallion who put their town on the map. Stories of Gunsin's affinity with race crowds haven't been exaggerated. He loved the applause, he loved the attention. Some of his jockeys had no doubt he posed for photos. He won from five furlongs to 2,500 metres. He defied his pedigree when he ran third in a Melbourne Cup. He won four of Australia's elite mile races. He wasn't our greatest ever racehorse, but he was the most charismatic. For generations to come, Gunsind will be a household name, especially in Gundawindi. Those who make a habit of checking New South Wales country race results will be very familiar with the name of Dubbo base trainer Connie Gregg. Connie started her training career at Hawkesbury 15 years ago, but found herself spending so much time in the bush she decided to relocate just over six years ago. Nowadays, she prepares a 20-horse team from a property opposite the Dubbo Racecourse and takes those horses wherever they're most likely to win a race. She might pop up as far west as Cobar or as far north as Gunnedah and at many other tracks in between. She's currently on target to win her second consecutive picnic training premiership. Connie and business partner Michelle Jones own the majority of those 20 horses. Connie Gregg grew up and went to school at Blacksland in the lower Blue Mountains and began dabbling with show horses from an early age. She spent 10 years as bakery manager for Woolworths at Emu Plains and later worked for the famous company Arnott's Biscuits. She had a short stint with Hawkesbury trainer Warwick Hales and later work full-time for another Hawkesbury trainer in David Keegan. There's not a trace of racing in her background, but Connie Gregg is completely immersed in the industry. It's Thursday, May the 4th, as we invite her to join the podcast from Dubbo. Connie, lovely to chat. Yep, morning, John. I hope you're a good sleeper because you've got one hell of a workload. I can guarantee that no one sleeps better. Is that right? You yeah, hold I the title. Yeah. Don't stop talking because I may fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> As I said in the intro, you and Michelle own most of the horses, so you've got to win races to stay afloat. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the prize money, as everyone knows in the country, um, 
even prior to the rises lately is 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 very good um but at the same time the cost of racing is very high so therefore mm. you really have to win races to you know keep yourself afloat but um we've been going a long time now and everything's going well and we're probably going at our best at the moment i'll say the record proves that now michelle formerly rode track work didn't she but nowadays she's on the ground and her contribution is invaluable. Oh, it's it, like like anything. Um, oh, the, the show wouldn't go on without her. Um, it's important. I, I know when I'm away, mm. where, where no matter where I'm racing, um, I, I don't have to worry about what's going on at home because I know every every box is ticked. Yeah, she knows the system and adheres uh, to the system that you put in place a long time ago. Yeah, that's right. Anyone that's ever worked for us, whether it been at Hawkesbury or the the real, you you don't be five minutes early, you don't be five minutes late, you you be on time. Yeah. Um. She she has everything. It is run. You know, it, everything's run by the mark, and and it works, and it's 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 proven that it works. You can't ride all twenty horses in their track work, so you desperately need local help, and you're blessed to have the support of a very capable dubbo jockey. Yeah, that's right. Um, Kenny came on board again. Kenny actually rode um, a first winner when I moved to Dubbo mm-hmm. um, in 2016. Um, he was riding for me and it was the first meeting I went to and, yeah, Kenny rode. I think it was Emo Abigail. I, I don't quote me, but, um, mm. yeah, Kenny rode for me then and um, he's riding for me now, yeah. Mm. And we're talking about Ken Dunbar. How That's many? Right. How many would he ride every morning or fast mornings? Oh, depending on what you've got. But he'd he'd ride a good eight to ten. Mm. Um, half the horse, you know, depending on what you got in work and what's going on when you're racing. But um, he can ride anything. He won't admit it. He doesn't want to. But he can ride the babies just as well as he can ride a racehorse. Mm. You're well set up on that property, Connie, which comprises enough yards to keep your horses outdoors. You very rarely stable a horse. Yeah, there, there is a barn there, um, but we we don't use it for horses. I can guarantee they're full, mm. um, but, yeah, they, they all live outside. Obviously, they've all got a shelter. They've, they're all rugged. They're all – a lot of them are mares mm. and mares – do better outside. Their their um, preparation lasts longer. When being outside, they're not locked in a box day in day out. You know, um, hmm. therefore you can keep their prep going on a lot longer. Although you focus largely on the picnic circuit, you're a regular on registered tracks. And as recently as Monday, the first of May, you won a race at Wellington with Cheeky Nugget. Before that, you won with Celtic Harp at Moree. So how does it work? Is it a case of finding the most suitable race, be it registered or picnic? Yeah, that's right. Um, the aim of the game is to take them where they can win. Um, put them, you know, you keep yourself in the best um, company and them in the worst. Yeah. Um, if you can, like, yeah, happy to travel. Most of them have learnt to travel um they they're good eaters i think it all also revolves around being outside um rather than being in a box we we, we don't have any bad eaters um as such you, horses that walk boxes weave you know all that you avoids that but traveling them within a 4 hour radius we can go north i can go west i can go south um but teaming up with leandro uh, at the picnics has really – it's taken off in the last two years. Obviously, we, we mm. both won the premiership last year mm. um, and possibly winning it this year. I, obviously, there's still a way to go. Um, but you got a handy lead. Oh, exactly. Look, it, it, I – you know, it, you, you never know, but to win the premiership then, to win the final last year, that the championship final, that, that was our aim and, mm. and we did it like – you know, you may have more horses than others in that race, but it doesn't matter. There's only one winner. Yeah. Um, and we were fortunate enough to win that race. It's not 
You know, everyone thinks it's an easy thing to do when it's not. Mm. Um, we may have a couple of runners again this year, but that doesn't mean there's only one winner. So whether it's us or not, we don't know, but we'll be there having a go. Now, here's an interesting statistic. Since becoming a regular on the picnic circuit, you've competed on 24 different tracks, winning at least one race on every one of them, sometimes multiple races. Now, included among those wins are 14 picnic cups. Do you have a favourite? Um, Billy Ben is the actual stable favourite. He's, he's never won a picnic cup. He's only a sprinter. Um, I don't really have a favourite. Um, yeah, well, I'm, a, I meant your favourite picnic cup win. Oh, picnic cup. Mm. Oh. They're all good. No, what would you throw that one in for? <laughs> um, probably Condoblin because that was a good day all around. We had – I took six horses to the races. We won five races and the sixth horse quenelled the picnic cup on that day. Oh, yeah, I know. So that was that. Yeah. That's a memorable cup, I suppose we could say. There's no favourite cup. Mm. Um, there's there's like I said, there's no favourite horse, but there well, there are a couple of favourites. But um, yeah, that's probably the most memorable cup. Racing um, New South Wales in providing undreamed of prize money increases in recent years didn't neglect the picnic circuit. Now most run of the mill races nowadays carries $7,000 in prize money. Feature races on the picnic circuit carry $10,000. Picnic racing has suddenly become viable, hasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Exactly right. And, look, it's always it's, – we're fortunate enough to be able to take multiple runners to the picnics to make that – not only the trip worthwhile, um, increase your chance on getting, you know, a cut of that prize money – um, having the leading jockey is also an absolute bonus. Um, but at the same time, everything, you know, doesn't always go to plan, but that's the aim of the game, to have as many runners as you can, to travel as far as you can and come home with, you know, the best results. Mm. There's one major problem confronting picnic trainers, which doesn't happen in the professional ranks, and that is a chronic shortage of jockeys. Now, Connie, it's not uncommon, is it, to have to scratch a horse because there's nobody there to ride it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And and it's it's unfortunate. And it goes back to the horses that go to the picnics, That that's sort of their niche. That's where they need to be racing. And they, they don't need retiring, which is Obviously, another problem, again, retiring racehorses is, is a hard thing, but they, they don't need to retire. But when you take them to these picnic meetings and there are no jockeys, then you've got the problem of missing runs mm-hmm. um, and then meetings being called off. And there's just – there's not enough riders, no. But, yeah, I have have had to do it myself, scratch, because mm-hmm. of no rider. Mm-hmm. So let's say you turn up at a picnic meeting somewhere in the Central West – how many jockeys are we likely to find in the jockey's room? Probably an average average of eight. Goodness me. Um, depending, you know, depending what area you go to too, because a lot of the south jockeys, you may get more down there, but they can't come up north, you mm. know, and the north jockey, you know, you, you've sort of got an area that they can go to. Mm. Um, for the picnic final last year, so there's 12 horses in the picnic final, mm. we had to fly three jockeys from Victoria Good just yeah. to compete in the New South Wales final mm. due to the shortage of jockeys. Yep. Well, you're in the enviable position of having first call on the services of Leandro Ribeiro, a native of Brazil, who actually rode a lot of winners professionally in his home country before coming to Australia. Yeah, that's right. Um, Leo, well, probably when he did come, Leo, that's that's how we commonly know him. Mm. Um, when he came over, it's like anything. You get a new jockey and nobody wants to put the new guy on because, you know, what if he can't ride? Mm. Um, when you put them on and then everyone, you know, sort of comes to the, the call and they realise you can just see it. From the time I seen him ride a barrier trial, mm. he could ride. 
Um, obviously, we we got an association now and ridden a lot, a lot of winners. Um, I'd say over eighty percent would be um, by him. It would have to be. I I wouldn't know exactly, but yeah. Um, if he's not on a horse, he may he may be on the. You know, if I have two in a race, he's definitely on one of them. Mm. Maybe sometimes the other horse may beat that horse for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, he gets to choose who he wants to ride, like if I have multiple horses. Mm. Um, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care what I put him on. You put him on 100 to one shot, he wouldn't care. No, no. You tell me uh, he's technically and tactically savvy. He seems to be in the right spot at the right time. Yeah, well, that's what you got to know where you are in a race. Um, it's it's no different to the professionals. He he knows how fast he's going. He knows where he wants to be. He knows on the track where he needs to be. Mm. Um, he he'll walk the track and he'll say, "I want to be five wide. I I want to get off the you know whatever wherever he wants to be. Mm. That's his job, and he does it so well. He may ride four races and ride four winners from three and four deep. And they'll mm. still go to the fence. The others will still go to the fence. And you mm. think, you know, he just knows where he where he is in a race and how fast he's going. Mm. Leo, as you call him, is a full-time Warwick Farm track work rider for Gary Portelli, who allows him to travel to the bush meetings on the weekends. Um, where did you first meet him? How did the association begin? Just, just when he rung for rides, just when he started riding the picnics. Um... Well, would have been two years ago, um, and then it just sort, sort of snowboarded from there. I, I didn't. Mm. He ride when he could. He, he's always booked weeks in advance. Mm. Um, always has been. Once you know, once everyone knew how well he rode, mm. um, he he was always booking weeks in advance, and I couldn't always get him myself. But you know, you, you get what you can, and sometimes it may not be you know who you want or whatever, but. Um, they're all out there having a go and they're all trying their best. Um, but he just, he's sort of a cut above. Mm. Now, amateur jockeys are actually allowed to own horses and you actually train a couple of horses that uh, Leandro owns. Yeah, that's right. They were sent to me um, the end of last year. It was just prior to the picnic final and it, it wasn't our in Hempstead and Cheeky Nugget. Um, it wasn't our intention to head for the picnic final at that stage because it was so late in the season. Um, but Hempstead had he, – he didn't have many points, but he was he was an emergency in the final actually and I had mm. multiple runners and I suppose I just – you have to work smarter, not harder. And um, I thought if I scratched two that I didn't think were a great chance um, to get him in the final – Mm. I thought he was a very good chance and um, Leo was, you know, obviously happy to do that. He he wasn't happy to do it, I suppose. I'd scratched horses, but mm. it was good that um, it worked and his horse won the final last year. Mm. How many did you have in that final? Um, it may have been six. I think I had maybe eight qualified. Mm. I can't remember. It, it, it was it was a lot. It was it was at least half the field, I, I think. Um and then obviously you had emergencies. I, ha- I had a couple of emergencies as well who I scratched in order to get Hempstead in. But, mm. um, yeah, I'm sure that won't happen this year. But anyway, it worked last year. And mm. um, Cheeky Nugget's actually in, in line for the final this year. Yep. Um, he's up there in the points. Um, Julia, Leo's partner. Yep. He's obviously when when we take them to the professionals. Um, Julie rides Hempstead. She's won on both Hempstead. Mm. I think he won at Warren with Julia. Hempstead mm. did, and obviously on Monday, um, Cheeky Nugget won at Wellington for Julia. Mm. Now Julia is of Swedish origin, and she came to Sydney, got a job straight away with Gary Portelli, and she's still there. She's not long back from injury. And she uh, suffered some nasty injuries in a race fall, but she's hitting her straps very quickly. She won on Cheeky Nugget, as you say, at Wellington. I think she rode a winner at Gosford on Anzac Day. I think it was, I, I think it was three in three in the last week. Mm. Um, she she because she jokingly actually I, I seen a post on Facebook. She'd won three in a week, and she joked that Leo normally does that in one meeting. 
but it had taken her a week to do it at the professionals. But um, mm. they're, they're very competitive. Um, they love their racing and they're both riding well. Sally Fawkes is a talented young rider who's attached to the stable. She won a first race recently at Tullabajil and then she made it a double later in the day. I bet she was walking on air. She was. That That was obviously that was the first time that I'd, I'd met Sally. Um, looking for riders as I had a couple of riders in the races um, and Leo said that Sally was looking for riders. You know, obviously that they have a little network that they work together, the picnic riders, to, you know, to know who's riding in what race so everyone, you know, gets a ride. Mm. Um, more than happy to put Sally on and she obviously she claimed three kilos. Um and I think it was it was a dead it was near very close to a dead heat between Leo and Sally in at Talabajil in the in the sprint race. Mm. And um Sally Sally just, just edged him out on the line. I'm I'm sure, you know, mm. the, the claim did help, but um she, she rides well and she will only get better. Obviously she's a three kilo claiming apprentice at the amateurs. Mm. You really enjoy picnic racing. It's very laid back. And you say the involvement of locals at these meetings is quite astounding. Where is the track? Uh, you were talking to me about where everybody is treated to an amazing spread, an amazing smorgasbord. Yeah, Malawa. It's up north of up Moree. It's sort of out from Moree. It was mm-hmm. the first time I went last year, and it was it was incredible. That, and I'm not talking sandwiches and biscuits i'm talking um cutlets and it was incredible and it was hot ham roll it was unbelievable the food Mm. and And the the amounts of food that there's there's no way it could have got eaten but it was incredible but a lot of the clubs do the same whether whether that that that's sort of to an extent it's the first time i've been there maybe they do it every year i i don't know Mm. um but every picnic meeting you go to they cannot do enough for you yeah. um yeah they they the whole community gets in they have one race a year and they they just it's it's incredible when you get there and everything is just in order you know mm. it just it just runs smooth and when they do have a meeting cancelled for whatever reason they're devastated you know they've waited all year and the preparation they've done and it may take rain it may take you know drought it take you know a lot of them the COVID, it just just mm. nearly destroyed the picnics. Obviously, COVID nearly destroyed a lot of things. Yeah. But the picnics suffered greatly in that, along with mm. the drought and then all the rain. So it's if it's not one thing, um, it seems to be another to those those poor clubs. I'll bet some of those locals line up three or four times and get on the queue at the Malibor. I'm sure they do because I did. Um, <laughs> I actually went. I went there with Brett Rob last year, and we we couldn't could not believe the food, and we just kept going back. And we, it, we've been to a, obviously, um, Snow's travelled with his father a lot in picnic meetings, and he had never seen a spread like it either. And and even I, you know, of yeah. all the meetings I've been to, incredible. Now Malawar is one of three meetings in that northwestern region which collectively have become known affectionately as the Golden Triangle. Where are the other two? Um, Moree, mm. Malawa and Talamoy. Right, and they're, and in, they're in quick succession too, aren't they? I, th- I think they're a fortnight apart mm. um, for that reason. Um, I don't – I think – Peter Sinclair, I don't know how many times he's won the Golden Triangle. I'm I'm sure he's done it multiple. I I wouldn't have a clue, but I know he has mm. won it. Um, I think he just missed last year in the on one or they the year before. I think one meeting was called off, and mm. you know for whatever reason. But yeah, that 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 is um, that's a big thing up there with those three meetings mm. within succession. Yeah. Coming oh, up. Actually, uh, that's the next lot of picnics mm. will be, yeah, the, the Golden Triangle. I was at the Gundawindi race meeting last Saturday in Queensland, Gundawindi Cup Day, ran into a lot of people, including Peter Sinclair. We had a good chat. He um He's oh, a very good trainer. He I'm sure he'll be at the Golden Triangle this year, um, being up in that area. 
but mm. um, he, he's been a very good trainer and, and a very nice person to go with it. Champion bloke, isn't he? And, uh, yep, exactly right. He'll help you with anything. I've, I've been to Moree multiple occasions and if, mm. if I get stuck for anything, um, he's always willing to give you a staff member to help you out or yep. help you out himself or, mm. um, and just a very good trainer. Highly regarded in both fields, amateur and professional racing. 100%. Yep, that's exactly right. Now, Connie, you spend a lot of time on the road driving your nine-horse Mercedes truck to race meetings, and it's usually full. Yeah, generally, well, that's the aim. Like I said, if I'm going to go four or five hours, um, you want to increase your chances of um, winning. You gained your truck driving experience some years ago Driving horse transports for John Holgate, who's based in the Hawkesbury Valley. Yep, that's right. Um, his son, uh, Daniel, Daniel and Helen were running it then. Um, John sort of, he's, he may be, I'm assuming he's retired now. I'm not exactly sure, but mm. um, yeah, I used to ride work in the morning and then um, drive trucks during the day to race meetings or, yeah, very, very often, not very often I did paddock work but on the odd occasion um because I was always too tired so it was always easier to drive to a racetrack unload the horses have a sleep while they all raced and then drive home (laughs) common yeah so um that was that was all the same sometimes if they had walk-ins for the the brood mares um you drop the mare off and then the mare would be served and then you just take it home but one day I, I went to um Binary and Excites was the stallion back then, mm. and Excites was very slow at uh, doing his job. And mm. they'd say, "Oh, just leave the mare here, and you, you know, come back." So I thought I'd have a little sleep in the truck mm. um, while I was waiting. And I think it was nearly three hours later, I was still asleep in the truck, and my mare was standing in the yard waiting to come home. And Goodness I'd me. fallen asleep, and no one had come and got me. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I had a nap, loaded the horse on, and went back home. It's a laid back business, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I think you were working for Arnott's Biscuits when you saw an advertisement one day which had been placed by Hawkesbury trainer David Keegan. He was looking for a stable hand. You applied, you went for an interview in fact, but you didn't really give yourself much hope. Show horses had been your only involvement up to that point in time. Yeah, that's right. If if I knew then what I know now, I don't. There would no need to be nervous. I had that job before I drove in the gate, mm. um, not knowing that you cannot get a stable hand, and it's very, you know, it's very hard to get people to work in the industry. Um, but yeah, I sort of thought, oh, I'm never going to get this job. I was nervous, and I'd never worked with racehorses. And but the minute they knew I'd I'd had horse experience, then the job was mine. So that's where it all mm. started. You'd been there for a while when David suggested you should jump on a retired racehorse that he had on the place. You were reluctant at first. He talked you into it, and it was a hazardous experience. Yeah, I think the minute he, the minute I hit his back, he launched across the car park, and I just remember him saying, hang on to him, love. And I think that's when fear set in. I hung on to him and um, I stayed aboard. Um, I would love to have seen the look on my face, but it wasn't good. Mm. Um, but that was my first experience on an actual racehorse and, um, yeah, it all, it all started then. You obviously had whatever it takes to make a good track work rider because you became very proficient in the art. And after this break, Connie, we're going to talk about a horse that you rode in track work several times and by far and away the best horse you have ever sat on. Back with Connie Gregg after this break. Australian trainers are giving Pride's Racing Cube the thumbs up. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube is a set recipe formulation in which the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you 
to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Mornington trainer Jason Warren introduced his horses to Racing Cube early this year and is delighted with the results. We've had a great deal of success since making that change. So really pleased with Pride's and not only the Racing Cubes, they've got a number of other feeds that work well for us. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag in bulk bags or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at a very economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed Stable. Trainers are giving it the tick of approval all around the nation. In the autumn of 2006, the spectacularly marked Apache Cat arrived in Sydney on a two-race mission. Trainer Greg Urell wanted him in a rural setting and arranged for him to stay at the Keegan property. Greg's travelling foreman, John Baker, got you to ride him work. You didn't have to fast work him at that time. It was a matter of just letting him stretch his legs. Yeah, that's right. He used to travel overnight, say, the Thursday night prior to racing on the Saturday. So he would travel at night and then when he got there in the mor- um, on the you know, in the morning before the race, he'd said, oh, can you just jump on him and trot him around and, you know, let me have a look and stretch his legs? And I was like, no, I can't possibly get on him. Um thinking, you know, what if the worst happened? But um, no, he was he was a kid's pony. Um, but at that stage, I, I did just trot him around and then um, got the opportunity to take him to the races. I actually drove him to the races and strapped him. Yeah. Oh, so. boy, what a memory. He was a three-year-old then, Connie. He won the Farlap Stakes at Rose Hill and then he lined up in the Doncaster in which he failed to beat a runner home but he was only five lengths from the winner, racing to win. But just to be there with a horse like that uh, must be an indelible memory for you. Oh, yeah. It's a long time ago now, but I I do remember it like it was just yesterday. Um, Back then, look, I I knew how good he was, but that was prior, the same old thing. If I I knew then what I know now, he's a lot better than I ever thought he was. I knew he was good. I knew he was great. I knew he was the best horse then, but mm. I now know what it takes to be, to, to have an Apache cat, something that, you know, that I'll, I'll never forget. And mm. to be a part of it is just, yeah, amazing. He was back a year later for two runs, uh, which brought him a third and a fifth. And then a year on again, 2008, he returned to win the TJ Smith. Now you were absolutely gobsmacked when Greg Urell asked you to accompany the horse to Brisbane where he reeled off two Group 1 wins, the BTC Cup and the first of his two Doombin 10,000s. You stayed at Nathan Tinkler's Queensland base that year and you rode him every day. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's still something that, you know, it's unbelievable, the, the experience to do that. Um I actually quit my job with Keegan's at that stage to go up there and travel with him for the, I was probably around five weeks, I suppose, that by the time you go up there and, and spend, you know, the, the weeks up there um, settling him in. But to go away with one horse and that one horse being Apache Cat was, was mm. incredible. Um, you just spent, you know, every everything was just about, about the horse and Greg was very particular. He was very particular on what he wanted. He he had John Baker mm-hmm. as his right hand man. Um, he he didn't need to be there. Um, he knew that John had everything covered. He you know everything about the horse was okay. He just had to fly up on um, on race day, um, and he knew that the job was being done. Jo- John was an amazing man, mm-hmm. um, and I think I learnt the most ever. In that time at Queensland, not only riding Apache, but spending so much time with John and just listening to the stories and and learning 
on a lifetime of racing that he had and we would just sit there and he could he would just every day was a different story like yeah lovely incredible what they can tell you and that carried on after I'd spent the time with Apache and John was always only a phone call away Mm. to help me in my training he played a major part of course John Baker in Apache Cat's wonderful career the horse won eight group ones and his name will come up in conversation for years to come. And Connie Gregg will have bragging rights. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I, I can't tell you. Actually, back then, I wish I had an iPhone. Um, we had the old cameras with the film back then. Mm-hmm. So I do actually have umpteen thousands of photos of him. Um, but at the time, you used to have to take photos and wait for them to be developed. It's not mm. like these days when you can have it on your phone, which yeah. would have been incredible. But, um, yeah, that's right. It's, it's a time I'll never forget, and it was just great to be a part of it. You'd put the film in at the local pharmacy and go back in a week and pick them up. Yeah, that's right. Now you just have to turn <laughs> your phone around and you got yeah. your photo, like, and you never know what you had. Oh, like dear. you just went, I've taken photos and I hope I got them because if I didn't, I can't run that race again. No, how true. Your individual training career began around about this time and you got started with a mare you'd acquired for $1,000. Her name yeah. was Lay Down Sally and for good reason. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I actually rode work for Mark Quinn at the time and we'd been working this horse that was – she was very difficult. You had to run along beside her to get on and she had to be worked early and you couldn't stop and she could gallop but she was extremely difficult and I'd been riding her for some time and, and I sort of said, when, when's this mare going to race? And they were like, she, she hasn't even got a name. She mm. wasn't named. She hadn't. She couldn't go in the barrier. She was a barrier rogue, so they were just using her as a work partner for everything. And um, mm. so then we thought we'd have a go. And I said, well, why don't we just have a go and we'll get her in the barriers? Well, she'd walk to the back of the barriers and just throw herself on the ground. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, she'd been blind. We tried everything and um, they gave up and moved her on. And so we said we'd buy her and have mm. a go at, you know, trying to fix her, which took a lot of time in itself. As you know, barrier rogues are yeah. – um, you know, they're a work in progress and take some time, but um, we spent a lot of time and, yeah, it was good. She was she was never great. Like she wasn't – she was a typical chestnut mare. Yeah, um, you don't like but, chestnut. You're very wary uh, of chestnut mares, aren't you? Yeah, they, they get their name for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. And, she, you know, you open up the dictionary on chestnut mare and her photo will be there. <laughs> well, you sorted her out well enough to win six races – and to run 15 placings. A Kembla win was as close as she got to town. Yeah, that's right. She she used to – she was a backmarker. Um, I don't know how in her work. She she was the most fiery horse you could ever meet in a race. She'd drop out to the back mm. and she'd come down the outside. But um, she was always – had me in the stewards' room for pre-race behaviour. Mm. Um yeah, she was she was a nightmare, um, but she taught me a lot too. Um, patience was a big thing. Mm. That's what John Baker used to always tell me, you know, be patient, be patient. And I used to think, oh, be patient. Mm. I don't think I can be, but she, she, she taught me a lot and she probably helped to make me an even better rider. Mm. With, when you ride horses like that, they're not just straightforward. Um, they, they teach you what fear is and how to hang on. Mm. Um well, you've bred yes. three foals from Lay Down Sally. Uh, the first of them is called Get Up Albie. He's won five races and is still racing. You lost the next foal to injury, while the third is a two-year-old called Let's Go Leo. I think you've got him in work now. Yeah, that's right. Um, Get Up Albie, he's, he's been sort of more of a, a picnic horse. He has won um, tab races, but he's probably only – half a nightmare like his mother. Um, he's I probably only say that he's not as bad as his mother because of his mother, of how bad she was. Um, yeah, he's got a bit of a bit of a namesake around the place. Everyone knows Albie mm. um, because of his behaviour. Um, his younger brother, Leo, he's, he's not as bad. But, um, yeah, the, the, our, our breeding program's over thanks to those. Um, mm. It wasn't a success, but. 
um, it, w- it was another thing to try, breeding. And mm. um, we lost Sal probably, I think it was two years ago. She's buried mm. on my property. Oh, yeah. So that's, um, mm. yeah, she was my first horse, my first winner. And, yeah, we just kept her and, and that's where she's buried. Let's go Leo. Have you named him after your current stable jockey? No, actually, he was actually Leo prior to Leo. Um, mm. He'd already we we decided on a name to keep along the lay down, Sally. Get up, Albie. Let's go, Leo. Mm. Um, prior to knowing Leo, but Leo has actually ridden Leo um, in track work. <laughs> mm. During those Hawkesbury years, Connie, you trained a handful of horses the whole time, but you concentrated mainly on pre-training. Graham Begg and Gerald Ryan were great supporters back then. Yeah, that's right. We first had horses with uh, Graham Begg. That's when Graham was at Ramwick mm. um, and only had a, a couple of horses um, racing. But I had a couple of very good riders, uh, Matthew Vella and Gordon Pratt. They both still break in horses now um, in Sydney. Um, they were very, very good riders back then um, and they we, we had a lot of breakers and pre-trainers. So we, we had good riders to get the horses going as youngsters um, and both of those now, uh, Matt Vella now is with Annabelle Neesham. Mm. Um, he runs her Hawkesbury um, stables yep. and Gordon Pratt, he's still associated. I'm not sure exactly now but he was with um, – Gay Waterhouse. He had a lot to do with breaking in for Gay Waterhouse. Mm. You were sending the odd horse to Kylie Kennedy at Narromine, horses that couldn't win on the provincial circuit. Kylie won with them frequently, and that prompted you to start carting horses out west yourself. And all of a sudden, you started to see the sense in heading to the bush. Yeah, that's right. Um, it, it was it was a very uh, oh. A couple of years before we started, I think we sent one or two to Kylie, um, and then the the more we sent, they just they just kept winning. Kylie was, she just did a great job with all the horses. Um, won a lot of races. Doctor Remlap was one of the best. He won a lot of cups mm. um, out there with Kylie, um, and then I would travel out to a race meeting. Um, to a tab meeting as well as, you know, to, to visit the horses as well. And while I was there, I may go to a picnic meeting with them, but most of the time it was over the phone when they were in picnics and Kylie would always ring me when they were racing and mm. um, we had a lot of success. And then, yeah, the property opposite the race course came up for sale and rents went up. Um, I think Gerald Ryan had purchased the stables mm. at Hawks before pre-training, um, so we sort of had less pre-trainers. And the, it was just time to make the move. Mm. I know you're a subscriber uh, to the English Digital Online Sale, which throws up some great stories. Ben Yarta's a great example. What did you pay for her? She's won four races for you. Yeah, she she was a six hundred dollar purchase. Mm. Um, another chestnut mare, um, <laughs> and another one that can probably have her picture alongside Lay Down Sally. Yeah. Um, not as bad, but. Whenever you buy these horses, they're six hundred dollars for a reason. Mm. Um, whether it be, you know, you just don't know what it is. You know, you're buying it. Um, so the first time I rode her, she she was a hot thing, and mm. you know, I don't know why she, you know, for whatever reason. Um, maybe she's happy. She's obviously happy where she was. She it was very hard to find a spot where she was happy to eat. Mm. Um, not walk and, you know, all those things that come in amongst it. Mm. Um, and she just she's just going from strength to strength. She's she's come a long way in a short time. Special mention of a great old bush horse you've got there with the curious name of Billy Bentier. You've won 13 races with him and an astounding 35 placings. He's won more than $230,000. What an old marvel is Billy Bentier. He is. He we actually uh, his previous trainer used to work for us, Bobby Tyack, and he he had what well, we call him Frosty. Um, he had Frosty at the time, and then he was thinking about giving training up for a while. 
So we sort of thought we'd been riding him work and he, he's just a legend of a horse. He, anyone could ride him, he, he's push button and he just tries. And uh, we actually bought him for $4,000. Um, he was a class two horse at that time. Um, and obviously he just, yeah, he's just, he's actually, he's still today a last start winner. Yeah. What age is he now? Uh, he's 10. Right. 13 wins, 35 placings. You'd like another three or four. Oh, even just the horse that he is. Uh, I think mm. he's must be nearly 140 starts. Like yeah. that in itself is, is unheard of. Being 10 years old as a racehorse is unheard of. Yeah. And touch wood, he's, he's never had – he's probably still racing because he is very sound. Mm. You provide a very stern test for the picnic race callers because your colours sometimes go around on multiple runners, albeit with different coloured caps. They're dazzling colours, Connie, yellow and purple stripes, yellow sleeves with purple stars uh, down the sleeves. They really stand out. Yeah, well, it's always – it's it's a lot easier to see. That was always the aim with the yellow, to be able to see it. It's never good in the mud, but um, – yeah, they are very easy to see, and they, even um, Timmy Moses, he he actually mentioned to me just the other day we were going to Gunnedah that they were colours that were easy to see in a race. Deal Street has been another great money spinner for the stable. Five wins, one of them at Kembla. Now, young Anna Roper won three straight on this daughter of Dundeal, and I believe Anna is getting close to a return after that very complicated knee injury. Have you been in touch? Yeah, n- not close enough, John. She's actually racing on Sunday, so if we could get her back on Sunday, that'd be great. You're kidding. Um, yeah, I, I spoke to Anna recently. Um, she's a couple of months off. Like, Obviously, she's had a lot of muscle wastage mm. in that leg, um, which comes with injury, obviously. Um, but her association with with Deal Street was amazing um, from the first time. It's always good when you, you you have a jockey jump on your horse and when they jump off, the first thing she said to me was, do not take me off this horse. Is she? Yeah. Um, so, and being she was a three-kilo apprentice then and mm. like her story speaks for itself. I, I know you did a podcast on – on um, Anna and mm. it's just amazing how far she she went in such a short time um, and the wins that she got and you don't do that if you don't have natural ability. Oh, amazing. Between August and November of last year, she rode 41 winners before that accident. Yeah, that's right. It's it's incredible uh, it, and it, it didn't matter. Like even for me, um, Deal Street wasn't in the form, obviously, that she was once Anna jumped on. I, I, what I don't know if you did see the replay of the Kembla, the Kembla win. Mm. Um, if not, do yourself a favour. Yeah, it came from <laughs> it way was back, the didn't she? Coolest ride mm. I've ever seen of any jockey. I was, I was beside myself watching the race. Yeah. Um, and she's just did does not panic. Um, she's just whatever it's got, whatever you need to be a good jockey. She's got it. Yeah, she's an absolute natural talent. Exactly right. And just an absolute gem of a person to go with it. Beautiful kid. Uh, yeah, exactly right. And and a mother is, is no different. She gets it from a mum. They're just a beautiful family. And actually they've just – her mum, Kate, has just sent me a horse to train. So, ah, beautiful. Yeah. And tell me about the horse. Can it win a race? It's only a maiden. Um, mm. I've only had him for a week. <laughs> yeah. So at the moment, um, look, I'm I'm hoping that the switch out um, west mm. is is all he needs. But um, at the moment, he, he's a very nice horse. He's a very nice type. Um, but at this stage, I, I'm hoping that I would really love to win more than his maiden, but um, to win a couple of races yeah. for Kate. Well, as they say at the federal election, it's too early to call. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now, you won nine races in the month of March and that gave you the Pride's Easy Feed Country Trainers Award. It's good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, it's At the time, you sort of 
get on a, as you know, you, you get on a roll and you're just winning um, and you sort of, it's, you're on a Ferris wheel and you keep staying on there and keep me on there and until they spit you off and say you've had enough. Um, but yeah, it's we're, we're in, like I said, it was sort of career best form, I suppose you could say. Mm. Um, and everything's going great. It's a round the clock business, this horse training with many highs and even more lows. You've got to savour the highs and you've got to cop the lows on the chin. I think uh, sanity in the training caper is a balancing act. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you can guarantee when you win, you've got to hang on to those wins because you can go out tomorrow and they soon um, knock you off your perch and um, everything just turns pear-shaped. But um, it, it's not its not a job as such like what we do. It, it's a life um, and, yeah, it's, it, if it's what you want to do, um, it, it's its not a job. I, look, you might as well say uh, you don't work every day. I, you probably mm. work more. We're probably on $2 an hour. Um, if you counted it that way, but um, yeah, it, it's not a job; it, it's it's a lifestyle. Mm. Do you enjoy it more than you did your decade as bakery manager for Woolworths at Emu Plains? Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. I, I struggled. I may struggle to get out of bed now, yeah. but um, I definitely struggled then. But <laughs> you know, um, it's it's a lot easier to bounce out when. You know, you've got the likes of Deal Street and Billy Bent here, and we, we've got a lot of um, handy horses for out here at the moment um, yeah. to, to keep you going. Connie, you're doing a marvellous job. Congratulations on all you've achieved, very capably supported and backed by Michelle. Congratulations. Thanks for joining us on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound, a very enjoyable chat. Thank you very much. Australian trainers are giving Pride's Racing Cube the thumbs up. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube is a set recipe formulation in which the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Mornington trainer Jason Warren introduced his horses to Racing Cube early this year and is delighted with the results. We've had a great deal of success since making that change, so really pleased with Pride's and not only the racing cubes, they've got a number of other feeds that work well for us. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at a very economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed stable. Trainers are giving it the tick of approval all around the nation.